0: THE SECOND ACT LETTER NUMBER THREE JOHNNY TO ELI Dear little bro, I can't believe it. My senior year. It wouldn't be the same without having you here. I'm so happy we get to spend this time together and have a great feeling about the future for you and me both. Eli, you've always made me proud and I know this year will be no different. I can't wait to see what you accomplish this year and beyond. And of course, I'll be right by your side. I'll be your biggest fan. I'll be rooting you on. And I'll always have your back. Let's have some fun, little bro. And in this part of our journey in style. The Andrew Bro style. Love always. Your big bro. Johnny. The rhythm's gonna get you, Dear friend, life in the desert can look forbidding and feel unforgiving. The dry heat of the summers brings forth the need for water and replenishment. Lack of water can, and often does, create a survival problem for all desert plants, animals, and people. Desert dwellers of all varieties are tough, but their resilience comes with its limits. So when the summer monsoon rains finally find their way into town, they're met with a certain amount of reverence and respect. Like a celebrity passing through, offering a bit of their time and perhaps an autograph or two, the monsoons become the talk of the town. Monsoon storms are incredible. First the heat rises to uncomfortable heights, then the winds pick up and the clouds start moving in. They're looking for a nice place to stay for the night. Cumulus thunderheads begin to darken the sky and are quickly followed by riveting shows of lightning flashes and the hypnotic sounds of pounding thunder. They hold a captive audience. And finally, the rain comes, alluring rains that can last anywhere from minutes to hours. No matter the length, one thing's for sure. They are always an honored guest in a desert summer. And in light of their warm welcome, they offer up so much in return. Quenching the thirst of desert dwellers and spurring the renewal and growth of all that crosses its path, a summer monsoon earns its admiration. But monsoons, too, have their own rhythm of opposites. For all they do to clean, cool, and recreate the desert floor, they can also damage it. Extreme heat and violent floods can threaten the world around them. Storms can be dangerous. They can seem unpredictable, and sometimes even frightening. In fact, a powerful storm can feel eerily ominous. As far as Johnny and I were concerned, we always had a love hate relationship with the monsoon season. We appreciated its power and purpose, and enjoyed rounding up our neighborhood friends and running to the nearest wash for some free entertainment. But we also resented when the storms caused cancellations to our baseball games and practices. What were we supposed to do with our time then? What could we do for fun, besides the occasional storm chase? Answers would be found in video games, Mortal Kombat especially, a favorite television show or two, The Wonder Years and The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air were at the top of our list, or in scheming future devious plans and making inappropriate prank phone calls. Sean and Chris were present for most of these, of course. But we would always prefer to be in the great outdoors if possible. And Johnny and I would always prefer to be playing baseball. The summer before Johnny's senior year, it offered up a strong and lengthy monsoon season. The Thunderheads gave way to tears of both joy and sorrow for months. Even after we began school that year, many days were met by a storm. Fortunately for Johnny, there were enough clear sunny days for varsity baseball tryouts to still take place. This was supposed to be the beginning of the greatest year in Johnny's impressive young baseball career. During his junior year, he became one of the best batters on his team and solidified himself as one of two top first basemen. Many people felt Johnny was the clear-cut favorite to win the starting spot at that position for the varsity squad during his senior year. In my eyes, there was no doubt about it. He was going to take his final baseball season in Jefferson by storm. But remember... Storms can be eerily ominous. The night before the starting lineup was to be announced, Johnny and I said a prayer together, played one last game of catch, an old tradition by now, and discussed the exciting details of the future to be. Johnny felt everything was perfectly falling into place. I'm going to be just like Mark McGuire this year, bro. You wait and see. This is going to be my ticket to college and maybe even the big league someday. And I couldn't have asked for a better teammate along the way, Eli. I felt honored. It's been amazing. I'm really proud of you, Johnny. And I cannot wait to cheer you on this year. Hopefully, I'll somehow make the varsity squad too and root you on from the bench. If not, I'll be the fastest player on the JV team. There's no way I'm only making the freshman squad. We both laughed. Johnny was just about to continue when an enormous lightning bolt lit up the sky. It was quickly followed by cannon-like cracks of thunder. We both looked down at our feet, then at each other as if to say, ''Did you feel that? I swear the ground just shook.'' But before we could take another step, a torrential downpour was already in pursuit. ''Crap!'' said Johnny. ''I wanted to tell you about Ashley, that girl I've been trying to talk to.'' ''She's so fine, bro.'' I couldn't resist. ''You mean like Bethany, Johnny?'' (laughs) I could tell he wanted to laugh. I never did get you back for that, did I, Eli? And the foot chase was on. I began sprinting to the door. Okay, bro, you can tell me about this supermodel later. How about after dinner? I yelled. I stopped at the door and turned to Johnny. But you better make sure Mom doesn't hear you. (laughs) I laughed as I started to walk inside. Johnny looked back toward the makeshift concrete baseball diamond we had conquered over the years inside man another game cut short by a monsoon storm i heard him say as he took one last look and then closed the door behind him perhaps that storm was a sign of things to come perhaps it was just a coincidence it happened to come the night before johnny's biggest moment to date either way after that the storms seemed to keep on coming When Johnny and I arrived at Jefferson High first thing the next morning, we just knew his life was about to change forever. What Johnny didn't realize is he would be the one determining what that change inevitably looked like. Not his coaches or his teammates. Not his family or friends. Just Johnny. Storm number one. We went to check the starting lineup. Johnny and I got to school earlier than usual that day. We didn't pick up any of our friends on the way, and Johnny didn't stop to talk to a single girl when we pulled up to the school. His mind was focused on only one thing. Baseball. We parked the car as close to the baseball field as possible, and then gave each other one last special handshake. Slap front, slap back, pound up, pound down, high five, and end it with a bro hug. Then we made our way toward the rusty old snack bar in front of the field. We were told this is where the starting lineup would be posted, taped to the front of the rectangular wall on the south side of the building. Just as we stepped onto the sidewalk that led to the snack bar, we saw Brad Bowman walking toward us. Brad was the other first baseman Johnny had been battling for the starting position with since the year before. He also happened to be the county superintendent's son. As Brad approached us, Johnny shot me a little smile and then locked eyes with Brad. Hey man, it's going to be great playing with you this year. Johnny said. I don't want it to be awkward or anything just because I'm starting at first base. I'm sure we'll both get plenty of playing time. I actually believed Johnny when he said it. I still think he may have really meant it. To my surprise, Brad didn't respond. Not at first. He just stopped momentarily, looked at Johnny and I both, and laughed under his breath. He didn't have to say a word. His body language spun a web of infuriating detail. As Brad stepped into the parking lot, I heard him insultingly quote part of an old song Dad used to play and sing from time to time. Looks like we're in for some vicious weather. I see an eye for an eye. He didn't even get the lyrics right. Nonetheless, he got in his fancy car and drove off. I'm willing to bet Brad didn't even come back to school that day. I'm sure he went right over to tell his dad the news. Johnny and I quickly walked up to the front of the snack bar and looked at the lineup. We couldn't believe what we saw. Johnny did not get the starting assignment at first base. As a matter of fact, he didn't make the starting lineup at all. If he wanted, he could play right field from time to time or cover for Brad when needed at first base. There was actually a badly written note from the coach that spelled out these glorious details for everyone to see. It was awful. To this day, it might be one of the most puzzling moments of my life. I had no idea what to say. And it was clear Johnny had no idea what to do. We just stood there, in complete shock. I started to say something to him, but he wouldn't even look at me. I tried to get and hold his attention, wanting to reassure him somehow, but it was hopeless. This time, it was Johnny who didn't respond. He just choked back tears. The first time I remember seeing that since we were little kids. And then headed for his car. I tried to follow, but he put up his hand, imploring me to stay back and just let him be. In a matter of seconds, he was gone. I looked for Johnny throughout that entire school day, but he was nowhere to be found. I called Mom before the first bell even rang. I told her she was going to need to come down to the school at the end of the day and talk to the coach. Something's not right about this, I told her. I know you and dad have always taught us to accept our losses and all, but mom, this is bullshit. Eli, watch your language, son. I'll be there after school to see what I can do. And with that, I tortured my way through the rest of the school day. I was with mom and Johnny when they went into the coach's office to discuss everything that afternoon. I waited in the hallway, but I could hear everything they said. Coach Bryant told them that Brad had beaten Johnny out by the slimmest of margins. When asked why he didn't even get a starting position in the outfield, the coach tried to explain that Johnny had been out of practice in the outfield and other teammates were better suited for the position at that point. But before Coach Bryant could finish, Johnny was already on his way out. He looked back toward the coach he once believed in and said, We both know what this is, Coach B. Small-town politics. How am I supposed to get a baseball scholarship sitting on the bench? I've never been okay with being a bench warmer, and I don't plan on starting now. Please excuse the language, sir, but this is bullshit. You know it, and I know it. I've looked up to you ever since that night you hit that home run when I was a little boy. Billy Bryant, the local hero. Sir, you're the reason I even started playing baseball in the first place. Damn. I'm sorry to say it, Coach Bryant, but I quit. He took one last look and then closed the door behind him. Mom stood there and contemplated what she might add. She didn't even apologize for Johnny's language. I'm not entirely sure what she did say to Coach Bryant at that point, but it didn't matter. It was too late. The saying goes, when one door closes... Another opens. Regrettably, this wasn't the case for my big brother when he walked away from baseball that day. The only doors that would remain open for him led to places nobody in a small town really wants to go. But Johnny could be stubborn. Hard-headed. So he tried to brush it off. To act like it didn't bother him or really matter. Like he might actually be better off without baseball. As we walked out of the building, he said, Well, it's not like I was really going to make it to the big leagues anyway. I might as well start figuring out what the world has in store for me. I wasn't buying it. Come on, bro. Your world is baseball. It always has been. Now, you can still go back in there and tell the coach you'll play right field when he wants you to. I know you can beat that other guy out for the starting position in no time. And you can still get that scholarship. Johnny interrupted me. It's not that simple, Eli. But I wasn't going to be deterred. Come on, think about it, Johnny. Babe Ruth, Hank Aaron, Reggie Jackson, and so many other great players have played right field. They played with love and passion for the game. That was their secret weapon. And it's yours too, bro. Remember your magical moment? I'll never forget it. There can be more of the hose, Johnny... I know you still want to play. Please, big bro. Please. I was begging at this point. I was too afraid of what losing baseball would mean for Johnny. For us. Our relationship. I knew one thing. It was never going to be the same. But Johnny had made his decision. They didn't want me, Eli. They gave my position to someone else. Someone who's not as good as me. Someone who didn't work as hard as I did. For so many years, I worked. I went from being one of the worst players in Jefferson to one of the best. And for what? This shit? No. I think I might be better off on my own. It didn't matter if I was buying it or not. Johnny was done. I needed help. When Dad got home from work that night, I tried to convince him to help us fix everything. Johnny had locked himself in his bedroom by then, and wouldn't respond to anything Mom or I said from outside his bedroom door. It was easy to see the pain and disappointment Dad felt too when hearing the news. All I really wanted though was to see Dad fight for Johnny's future. For the future of our family. I said, Dad, please, you've got to do something. Talk to Johnny. Talk to Coach Bryant. Talk to the school board or or the head of the athletic department if you have to. I'm begging you, Dad. Johnny can't walk away from baseball. It'll kill him. He'll never be the same. You've got to convince him to keep fighting for this. I'm begging you, Dad. Please do something. But like Johnny earlier that morning, Dad wouldn't even look at me. I could tell he was already defeated, too. But as always, he was going to try to handle it with grace. Eli, he said, as he continued to look away from me. I love you very much, son. And it's so sweet of you to look out for your brother like this. I know you want to help him. But he has to make his own decisions. And this is just the way it goes sometimes. We have to believe it's for a reason. God has a plan for everything, son. Johnny will find his greater purpose. He'll be okay. I looked over to Mom, tears streaming down my face. Mom? I begged one last time. But she had already moved into Grace with Dad by that point. Your father is right, Eli. God must know what he's doing on this one. It's going to be okay, son. Again, I wasn't buying it. I didn't believe this had anything to do with God. This was a man-made problem, and there were only a few people on earth who could try to do something about it. It pained me to feel like I was the only one who was actually willing to do it. I had never felt so helpless, and honestly, I've never fully understood it. This was a tumultuous storm. One that had beaten down and blemished the innocence of adolescence. Johnny's dreams had turned into bullets and pierced his heart far beyond the surface. His will had been broken. His spirit shattered. The hopes he had faithfully carried for so many years stolen. And for the first time in his life, he had no idea what to do next. There would be no more practicing to get better in the off-season. There would be no more adoring fans cheering him on at games. There would be no more opportunities to play in front of college scouts. For the first time since he was a little boy in Jefferson, there would be no more baseball for my brother, Johnny Andrews. That's also the way life can be in a small town. When a small town's worst personality traits rear their ugly head, it can feel like one's destiny doesn't really belong to them. Like it's somehow held in the hands of another, based on reputation or familial ties, on money or power, and all too often on an ugly display of small-town politics. My family almost didn't stand a chance. We had little money, no power, and when placed at the politic playing table, we were holding an empty hand. That much I did understand. The only thing we did have was a decent reputation, but part of our legacy was simply putting our heads down and getting to work, and doing it without complaint or conflict. That was until baseball ended for my brother that fateful fall. After that, Johnny saw the small town of Jefferson in a whole new light, a place that looked forbidding and felt unforgiving, and he hadn't even done anything wrong. Jefferson would never quite feel like home for him again. Now it was simply the place that had raised him, for better or worse. A town once painted with beautiful mountain sunsets and defined by boyhood dreams of baseball glamour, Jefferson was suddenly marred by one dangerous, unpredictable, and frightening storm after another. Storm number two. Johnny wasted no time choosing a new path. Falling in with the wrong crowd and chasing the wrong girls served as validation for the way he now saw himself. Eli, he would tell me, we both know I'm good at two other things besides baseball. Having fun and getting girls. That's all Johnny felt he needed in Jefferson at that point. From then on, school wasn't really a priority and the future was anything but a certainty. I noticed the change in Johnny right away. So did mom and dad. They mourned the fact that their once joyful, kind, and respectful eldest son was becoming a different person. His heartache was becoming their heartache. Johnny's happiness and humor had quickly transformed into a sad song of hostility. His smile, once a source of light for all around him, was now a mask of indignation. Even when he tried to feel and show joy, a new version of his smile gave away the truth. This smile was singing secrets of sorrow. He was no longer being led by enthusiastic passion, but rather by pain. Mixed in with an unhealthy dose of bitterness, Johnny's prognosis wasn't looking good. And his self-prescribed solution was to fight. My brother had always been the real fighter, not me. He had always held storms inside him. And as you may remember, he had always desperately wanted to make his family proud. Especially me, I suspect. His problem now was he didn't know how to do that without baseball. The fight and storms within him had always been married to the game he loved. Now, separated from that, they would be focused elsewhere. Long gone seemed the days of fighting for someone else, like Mason. Johnny was now fighting for himself, fighting because it felt good, fighting because it gained him respect, fighting because it gave him a sense of power and purpose. Johnny was fighting now simply because he wanted to, because in a strange sort of way, he kind of enjoyed it. It didn't take long for this to become part of his new reputation either. He would fight anyone, anytime. Johnny's transformation was a difficult thing to witness. It was a raging storm that felt unsettling and even downright troubling when I look back on it. But I must say, sometimes his transformation did work in my favor. When I saw what happened to Johnny and the way a part of Jefferson had turned its back on him, I too chose to walk away from baseball. I had injured myself during tryouts and was going to be out for several months. A broken bone, coupled with a broken heart from my big brother, was the perfect catalyst for leaving baseball behind. I was never as passionate about the game anyway. Perhaps this is why I handled the transition much better than Johnny had. I went in a different direction. I chose a song over a storm. I recognized that when one door closes, another opens. It was the start of something new and began a journey that would last for many years to come. My new path led me to an unexpected place. I found theater. Or maybe it was theater that found me. Either way, we seemed like a match made in heaven. I discovered that performing on stage gave me the same thrill of nerves and excitement I had once found in the batter's box or just before catching a ball on the baseball field. It also offered similar opportunities for competition, teamwork, and the satisfaction of accomplishing something that seemed worthy of praise. Unfortunately, Jefferson wasn't quite prepared to offer up that praise. It was, of course, a baseball town. When I chose something as trivial, by Jefferson's standards, as theater over baseball, people began assigning me a new reputation, too. Rumors of me being gay were passed around town like hate mail. Many of my friends, including most of the guys I had played baseball with, didn't really want to be associated with me anymore. They seemed embarrassed by my presence. And as for the rest of the guys in town, they somehow felt threatened by me now. I was doing something foreign to them. Something that unfairly had always been considered a feminine or quote-unquote gay thing to do in a small town like Jefferson. But it was also something that garnered a new kind of attention from girls. I was good. Really good. I could emote feelings and deliver laughs like a perfectly orchestrated piece of music. I was a real composer now. And if anyone noticed, it was girls. This only made other guys in Jefferson feel all the more threatened by me. They didn't like my newfound passion or the effect it had on girls, and they were certainly going to let me know about it. It began with ridicule and homophobic insults, These quickly turned into laughter or hateful stares as I made my way through high school hallways or out and about around Jefferson. Things really escalated, though, when people realized I was able to brush most of these unkind gestures off. I thought they were ridiculous. Childish. Unworthy of my time or energy. At least that's what I wanted them to think. Most of the time, I would just chuckle and keep on walking. But if truth be told, I also had a bit of a temper and a pretty quick tongue in those days. So on occasion, I would say something back. Before this, I had always been able to talk quick and run even quicker to avoid a fight if needed. But a broken leg and a cast would put a real damper on that formula this time around. One day, I decided I'd had enough from one of the upperclassmen who had been harassing me for months. I had little respect for this particular guy, Adam. I thought he was an unintelligent, unremarkable loser who was going absolutely nowhere in life. I did fear him though, at least physically. But I knew I could decimate Adam with my words, if nothing else. So on a Friday afternoon in front of a large crowd that had gathered in front of the cafeteria, I called him out. You're a loser, Adam. Everybody knows it, including you. Maybe that's why you spend your time tearing others down and spreading lies. Because you can't face the truth. That you're going nowhere. That this is the best it's ever going to get for you. That these are your glory days. It's pathetic, man. But take a look around. Soak it all in. Pump up your chest and pretend you're the man. Because pretty soon, you'll be nothing but a has-been. Like I said, loser. Everyone was shocked. Including my new worst nightmare, Adam, who stood frozen in disbelief. As I turned around to walk away, feeling like my own hero for once, I heard Adam yell out his warning. You just wait until after school, Eli. You might want to watch your back real close. Faggot. I shrugged it off and laughed. There was an audience watching. But inside, I was scared. Real scared. And there was only one thing I could think to do. Find Johnny. Unfortunately, Johnny was long gone. He had skipped out of school early again. I considered doing the same. But theater was my last period of the day, and we were rehearsing an important group performance that we'd present the following week in class. I didn't want to let my team down. And I hated missing theater. As luck would have it, the Jefferson High Theater building was on the back side of the school, perfectly positioned next to the student parking lot. I planned my escape route with one of my friends in class, DJ, who had his car parked close to the exit door. As soon as the bell rang, we made our way to freedom. But just as we got to the car, we heard Adam calling from outside the exit doors. He was charging toward us. Fast. Why don't you back up your words, Eli? Show me how much of a loser I am. You're going to remember me forever after I kick your ass. Oh, wait. You're afraid to fight me with fists, right? You pansy. Why don't you tell your brother Johnny to come fight your battle for you? I'll kick his ass too. Bunch of Andrews pansies. I had heard enough. I jumped in DJ's car and we began to speed off. But not before Adam was able to make it to my door. He sent us off with a final bang on the window and a middle finger to boot. It was the closest call to a beatdown I had ever faced. When I found Johnny at Sean and Chris's house, I was still shaking. Johnny was enraged when he heard what happened. He demanded we immediately go looking for Adam. He was set on getting revenge. Nobody talks to my little bro like that. Nobody threatens my family. It didn't help that Johnny and Adam had never liked each other before all this happened. But Adam had never built up the courage to say what he thought to Johnny's face. And he may not have realized that saying it to his little brother was actually even worse. That night we all went out looking for Adam. Honestly, I was torn. Here was my older brother acting on my behalf. Once again being my hero. A part of me felt proud and thankful. But there was also something very troubling about Johnny's demeanor. The look in his eye. The aggressive way he drove that night. The way his body shook with anger. My own shaking had stopped hours earlier. And all I could think about while we drove furiously around Jefferson, searching through all the most popular hangout spots, was what Johnny might do to Adam if we found him. It was one of the first times I can remember actually feeling scared in the presence of my older brother. This storm was definitely a frightening one. I wondered if I should have even told Johnny what happened that day. I was beginning to realize him and I really were different in this regard. He was strong, brave, heroic. And yet, sometimes he took things too far. When he got like this, there was no talking him off the ledge. It was like a match had been lit and no one but Johnny could put it out. He was going to put it out on his own terms. It's ironic, really, that one of the things I admired about my big brother the most was also one of the things I feared. I felt so insecure in moments like this. Why couldn't I just handle it myself? Why couldn't I fight my own battles? The answer is quite simple. I was afraid. Afraid of losing. Afraid of getting hurt. Most of all... I was afraid of trying to be something I wasn't, a fighter. I never truly saw myself as one. So ultimately I would let my hero, my big brother, try to win this battle for me. I sat there quietly as we continued our search. After hours of dead ends, our last stop was at the one dance club that existed in Jefferson. Simply called The Shack, this club was anything but impressive. From the outside, it looked like an old building you might find in a ghost town. The old white paint covering the place was all but chipped away. It was obvious the windows were the originals from when the old club was first built, and the doors were one step removed from up and running away altogether. The inside of the shack wasn't much better. Upon entrance, visitors were greeted with the overwhelming stench of caked-in cigarette smoke and bad booze. Funny enough, kids from Jefferson High thought that was cool because it made it feel more like a real club, a place for adults. I thought it seemed more like a place for the desperate. Old stained disco-themed carpet lined most of the floors, and the walls were covered with dirty mirrors and torn posters of outdated artists. To their credit, the owners of the shack had tried to update the place a little and make it more appealing to a younger clientele. They had settled on a luau party theme, decking the place out with bright Hawaiian colors, fake homemade palm trees, and unlit tiki torches. I assumed this was supposed to make visitors feel they had been transported to a more appealing, exciting place. It didn't work. By the time Johnny had scanned the place for Adam and made his way to the tiny dance floor that only ever seemed occupied by a few wannabe breakdancers, I was finally feeling a bit of relief. Maybe we won't find him tonight and Johnny will cool down a little before next week, I thought. But then we saw a group of Adam's friends across the dance floor. Johnny wasted no time approaching them. Wanting to know exactly where Adam was, he was disappointed when told they hadn't seen him since school let out that day. But Johnny wasn't going to let them off that easy. You tell Adam I'm looking for him. And I will find him. And when I do, he will pay for what he did to my little bro today. He grabbed my arm and pulled me in close, positioning me right in front of Adam's crew. This is Eli. And nobody threatens him. Nobody. By this time, a larger crowd had surrounded us. Confrontations like this usually meant one of two things at the shack. A dance battle or a real fight. Some of the spectators may have been let down to see it was nothing more than an invitation to fight from Johnny and the recipient of that invitation was currently nowhere to be found. Some of the crowd supported Johnny's efforts. Some of them did not. The girls who had gathered around were primarily in Johnny's corner, finding it adorable and sweet that he was coming to his little brother's defense. But there were a few who were not too happy with him at the moment. Johnny had spent the last few months having fun and getting girls, of course. That often meant having fun with one girl at another girl's broken-hearted expense. This, too, was quickly becoming a part of his ever-evolving new reputation. At least for a lot of girls in Jefferson, it was. There was one particular girl in the crowd that night who really caught Johnny's attention, though. He had been trying to get her to take notice of him for quite some time. Even though they had spoken a few times, she wasn't showing as much interest as he may have wanted or expected. The fact that this girl didn't live in Jefferson... Instead, traveling to and from a neighboring town in order to attend Jefferson High made matters even more difficult. Johnny would look for her every day after school, but to no avail. Now she was standing right in front of him, outside of school, on a dance floor, looking at Johnny and daring him to make the first move. Dear friend, here comes storm number three. Johnny was about to walk right into it.